Welcome back to Snowling Podcast. This is your host, Gordavan. Today's episode, episode 40. And we got a good one. Uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Appleson, or Appleson. Um, a lot of people, a lot of fans uh, pronounced it uh, different ways, but uh, it's Jimmy Appleson. And uh, it was uh, great uh, reconnecting back with, uh, with Jimmy. Uh, had, uh, the pleasure of uh, racing uh, with him or against him uh, in the uh, 80s. And um, it was uh, good times. He was a fierce competitor had amazing machinery, always top-notch, great driver, and uh, just an all-around uh, nice guy on the track and off the track. Had the pleasure of, uh, of uh, kind of uh, having some uh, after-race after um, uh, outings with, uh, with Jim, too. So that was a lot of fun, and uh, it was a good time. So uh, co-hosting with me today is Hal Armstrong. Hal is a contributor to uh, Snowgore Magazine and Snowtech, and you can see his articles and they're called time machines. And uh, Hal's very thorough in his uh, in his uh, articles. Uh, he researches the, all the uh, vintage sleds and the uh, drivers that race them too. So check them out. Some great articles from Hal, and uh, he joins me today. Uh, we are on all the social medias, uh, so you can check uh, the uh, Snowwing Podcast out on um, on all the social medias. Facebook, just uh, uh, look for the Snowwing Podcast. Uh, we're on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So you can check all the stuff out uh, there, all the podcast interviews, along with uh, with uh, um, other stuff that I post. Uh, um, remember, you can uh, follow us on SoundCloud and uh, subscribe to uh, this podcast on uh, on iTunes. And you can leave a, you can leave a remark on iTunes too. That uh, that uh, helps a lot too. Uh, if you uh, like the podcast, uh, you can uh, uh, give the, a little uh, shout out to uh, to us. So here we are, Jimmy Paulson. best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. First, uh, first off, Jim, uh, let, let's talk about uh, what are you doing now? Um, uh, you got a dealership, Players dealership. Uh, we need to talk about your, deal- your uh, dealership. Yeah, sure. We have... Uh... Uh, we have uh, it's called uh, Appleson's, and it's uh, it's in the uh, suburb of uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, we're about uh, oh ten minutes uh, just outside of Buffalo, um, and uh, it's a fair sized dealership, Gordy. It's uh, uh, and we represent um, Polaris as our powerhouse, of course. Um, but Yamaha, uh, we do a complete line of service and parts for Yamaha, but our real forte there is uh, the uh, Yamaha watercrafts, seeing as though we're located just a mile from Lake Erie and uh, Buffalo. Uh, and then uh, Kimco products, we sell them. Uh, the brainstorm on that 10 years ago when gas prices started rocketing, we uh, thought that that would be a good uh, complement to our product line with the scooters and, and also they were coming along with our ATVs. So uh, that's that's our complete lineup. We're uh, you know, a full full service, full, full-on dealership. Uh, you can certainly check us out on the web. It's uh, appleson.com. Uh, how long have you been doing that, Jim? 
Well, Gord, uh, this it started as a bit of a uh, uh, kind of my connection to Polaris and racing. It started in '92, uh, just as kind of an afterthought. Our original businesses were construction, uh, which played favorably for me. Uh, you know, having uh, taking off winners and in, uh, in uh, racing around uh, North America with uh, for you know for Polaris. Um, but uh, then it uh, it kind of grew into a huge monster, a three-headed monster, which needed, when I got through racing in 97, um, a decision had to be made which direction we were actually going to take the uh, the business in. So we decided to uh, move forward and forge forward with the uh, retail business, um, representing at that time just Polaris Industries. Yep. Okay, Hal, go ahead. You got a question for, uh, for yeah. Jim? You got a question for uh, yeah, Jim. Uh, yeah. So again, thanks for uh, doing this with uh, with Gordon and me. Um, why don't we just? Start oh, no worries. Uh, just. Uh, uh, yeah. Yep. Go ahead. Well, the beginning of my career, uh, my the beginning of my career, Hal started uh, strictly by accident. I started out as a. Uh, as a young buck, and uh, uh, and my uncle um, had a uh, one of the first dealerships here in um, in Hamburg, New York, uh, and uh, they were snow jets. Uh, and he had a back then. There was uh, back in the early and mid '70s. There was um, there was a whole lot of enthusiasm and excitement for uh, snowmobiling, of course. Uh, of course, the shops back then were, you know, mom pa shops, and there was a lot of talk and excitement and enthusiasm about going out and drag racing every weekend. And uh, so, sure enough, um, I was uh, I was young and uh, and wasn't afraid to. I loved speed and I wasn't afraid to go fast. So they put me on uh, they put me on a machine when I was uh, first race I ever raced was I was 14. And um, put me on a sled and won it, and that was that was the end of that. And then so I, then they put me on an oval machine when I was still 14. Uh, never raced a day of juniors in my life because I said if I'm going to race, I want to race against the the guys that are really competing out there. So uh, my dad had to sign off on that. Uh, parent uh, had to say, you know, it's he's okay to race with the adults. So I never raced a day of juniors in my life, and. Um, there it went, uh, won a lot of uh, races, and then I went semi-pro, and that's when I uh, went up into Canada and met the Avans and the whole Ontario Racing Association up there and uh, with nothing but really fond memories of racing around all of Ontario and Quebec. So I'll just uh, uh, get on here, uh, you know, going through some of the old snow weeks, uh, it, your name kind of first appears from what I can see on the uh, on the snowy radar, probably mid '80s when you were racing primarily but stock and pro stock. You know, um, Bob, that's a that's a, a great question. So here here's what happened, Hal. Um, so in the uh, in the uh, right around '80 80, '81. Um, a decision had to be made. Um, I was racing uh, with, a, yeah, as most guys, out of a out of a pickup truck or a small trailer with a, with a local guy here uh, in town. And um, as as fate would have it, uh, when I took on a uh, a supermod snowmobile, um, 
uh, I, I wasn't quite I wasn't quite equipped uh, technically, uh, or, or to be perfectly honest with you, my experience level wasn't for the speed of the 440 super mods. Um, so we broke uh, quite a bit that year, and at the uh, racing up in Lowellville, New York that year, um, it broke on the first day, and there was a fella there with his daughter. Um, I, I don't know if you remember her, uh, Gordy, Debbie Kice. Um, Name sounds and, familiar. Uh, uh yeah she she was she was she raced uh she was racing women's against a girl by the name of Judy Rinaldi back then and uh and she you know they would go to Eagle River and they would go to the World Series and all that stuff and Judy would end up first and Debbie would end up second and ended up being there um Hal for the weekend with really a team and nothing to do so we uh we you know uh we were looking at uh uh, you know, just kind of, just kind of by accident, uh, Kenny Kice uh, asked us to take a look at his snowmobile. So of course we did, and next thing we know, uh, the sled was a mess. So uh, Saturday night, then uh, they all went out partying, and I had the had the guys restub the track. And we pulled the clutches off. And we took a good look at this, and we really, uh, you know, spent a little bit of time on it. You know, three four hours that night, but we got some some of the some of the stuff straightened out on it and the next day out at Lowellville um, I told uh, Debbie I said okay Debbie this is going to be a completely different machine so when you hit the gas you better be hanging on to it and funny story for you guys when she hit the gas it launched so hard she wasn't ready for it left her on her butt at the starting line <laughs> and true to her form True to her form, guys, she got up, ran to the sled, put the tether in, and drove as, as hard as she could drive and caught the whole pack and ended up, uh, ended up winning that race. Really? And uh, her, dad, her dad, Kenny Kice, was so excited, he said, oh, my God, he said, I need you guys to actually really work on the sled. And, um, so, and she was a good rider, so what happened there, Hal, is we went out, um, we went out west and uh, she did really well at the World Series out in, uh, I believe it was, I believe it was, uh, it was either West Yellowstone or it was Waldeheim, Saskatchewan, one of those. We went out west and she did really well. So the following year, um, uh, Kenny asked if, uh, if, if I would actually assemble a little race team for him. He was the, he was the owner and, so we put a little team together, and I said, that's fine. I'll do that as long as I can ride that, that Articat sled, that, that, that Articat sled. So we took that out, and that's when uh, I met up with, uh, with uh, OSRF. Uh, we went up there, and I, I think we went on an unbeaten streak up there for, for the whole year. Uh, we showed up at Eagle River the first time I was ever at Eagle River and just dominated out there. And that was when there was there was some recognition. Uh, Polaris and Articat were recognizing us. Well, um, Articat went out of business the following year, so you know there went that whole deal. So, and um, so I went knocking on doors, Hal, and uh, that's when uh, I ran into a guy by the name of Ray Munsrud, and. Um, and Ray said, well, you know, I can't do much for you. Find a local dealer, find some folks to help you out, and, um, uh, you, know, we'll, you know, we'll take a look at you. So, okay, well, that was it. A lot of, lot of legwork, a lot of knocking on doors, and finally got a local dealer to, um, to kind of buck up, uh, help us with the sled, and uh, got 
a, uh, a distributor to help us out with the parts that we needed to do that. And um, and we we jumped over to uh, Blairstown. That was our it was a 1983 340 cross country Indy. If you remember that flood hell. Yep, for sure. Um, Jim, you had uh, you had some pretty good sponsorship yeah. in the in the early years. You had uh, you had uh, Eaton Eaton. Now, what, what is Eaton? That was a parts uh, aftermarket company, wasn't it? Well, yeah, that was well, Gordy. Great question. So uh, early on, um, the the how it worked with all manufacturers is they had distributorships across the United States. And Eaton Equipment was the big northeastern uh, distributor, northeastern United States, and it just just so happened to be that they were they were here in Buffalo, New York. So uh, uh, of course I knocked on their door, and um, uh, one thing led to another, and a, a great relationship forged there. And Eaton Equipment became my major sponsor. Now the year after I started with with. Uh, with that, but Gordy, you have to uh, let me let me kind of uh, set the stage here a little bit. Um, if you remember uh, Eganville, okay, yeah, um, okay. So we showed up there. Uh, we were kind of figuring out how to get this Polaris to run, and so we really kind of struggled with it pretty much all year. The best we were doing was you know you know third and fourth place. We were having a tough time making it into features, but but. You know, we stuck with it. The last race of the year, if you remember, Gordy, was the World Series back in 83 at Eganville. Yep, I remember. And and that's when Tim Bender was the hottest thing uh, in snowmobile racing. Yep. And the race went just like this. The weekend warmed up. And Saturday was extremely warm. The matter of fact, the racetrack turned to slush, and uh, we raced all day. And we were getting faster and faster as the day went on. And what happened there is um, that pro stock class that Hal had asked me about was uh, this was this was the biggest event of the year, and it turned out to be in the feature event. It was Tim Bender and I. Uh, he jumped out of me, chased him down, and on the last lap, I went to make a, uh, a move on him, and he countered me, and he took first, and I took second. But that was that was kind of the prelims. So on Sunday, Gordy, um, same, it unfolded the same way. He and I were the top qualifiers in Pro Stock, which, if you remember back then, Gordy, that was one of the biggest classes going. Oh yeah, for um, sure. there was you know there there was certainly. You know, there were certainly, you know, 30, 40 entries. Um, so, on the, so on the last for the featured event, it was Bender and myself again, but only this time on the last came right down to the last turn again, but this time pulled the reverse move on him, came across for the uh, checkered flag. It's the first time Bender had been beat all year. Yeah. So that put us on the map with Polaris. Then that's when Eaton came into play, and then that's what forged the relationship which started off there. Hal, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sounds, uh, sounds good. Um, so looks like around 85, 86, you're, uh, you're still running Polaris. You must have been running uh, XC400s, maybe the XCRs. Um, I read uh, uh, about a stock B race at Eagle River where there was like over 40 entries and you uh, you beat the, the DeVos on the Cats, uh, Dan, 
Um, and that looked like that was a big win for you. Well, actually, um, yeah, that was big, but uh, what happened there is now up in OSRF, what was happening is because we were, OSRF was, was a, a pretty strong race circuit back then, and because, uh, because Ski-Doo was up in uh, Valcourt, um, they they got a lot of support, and the big boys would come out and run the uh, the the uh, Formula Ones and the Pro Stockers. Uh, so we had a real good, real big circuit right in our backyard. So we campaigned the OSRF and the Quebec. Um, and what happened is we just started compiling a lot of wins, and and. Uh, lo and behold, we yes, we went back out and beat um, in I believe that was uh, I believe that was eighty four or eighty five when we actually won that B championship and and that was a that was a big deal. Um, there was uh, Jim Wurgeon, if you remember him. There were the defaults. There were there was there was the who's who list of the top racers were in there with us. So walked away with the win from there, and then that, that's when uh, players sat down and I, I, you know, basically said, okay, well, you know, what's it going to take? Uh, you know, because of course Skeeter was looking at me, and um, that was going back and forth. But um, players decided that it was time that they bucked up and uh, we're going to we're going to really race. So what happened there, Hal, is um, they gave you know they gave me more to work with, and I had to actually sign a deal with them. Yeah. Um, but what really put me on the map, Hal, so, so to take some mystery out of it for you, is there, there's you guys are hitting on the main players. So as as I was coming through the ranks, couldn't have done it without without eating equipment. Um, but then after eating equipment. Um, what uh, and Ray Munstrud was was kind of like the talent scout. But then there was there was that combination. There was a guy by the name that was probably more uh, more involved with my success than anybody, and that was C.J. Ramstead. Right. So C.J. Ramstead caught wind of this. Uh, C.J. Ramstead had you know always had a you know had a eyeball for spotting somebody that nobody else was spotting, and he heard about this this kid in the East that was super fast. And uh, what happened? And and he caught on to the fact that I was running this streak up in OSRF in, in Quebec that I was unbeaten. So what he did, Hal, is he came out to uh, Gordy. If you remember the little track in Peterborough, oh yeah, when they, yeah, yeah. They set up that uh, that short snowcross race, and and um, so uh, so I was I was running Hal. I was running. I had uh, two sleds. Now I had one set up for snowcross, and I had one set up for uh, ovals. And when we went to Peterborough, um, C.J. Ramstead showed up because he wanted to see this kid from the East race. So C.J. Ramstead does this center page, two page pictures and all on Jim Appleson, this, this kid from the East. Um, and that's what really kind of set everything in motion. Uh, so he, he actually came out and see, Gordy, if you remember, they never really followed 
closely OSRF other than, you know, they would show up to, you know, uh, Snow Week or yeah. uh, Snowmobile Magazine would show up to cover, you know, like a main uh, Formula One event, but they never really showed up to gave OSRF the type of coverage. And, and the reason they started showing up was because they wanted to see um, this kid that was running back and forth across the country and just winning everywhere. So that that's how, hell, that's how it all started out. Yeah, you're right, uh, Jim. Uh, um, back in the back in the the, the mid '80s, I guess uh, they had the uh, the sport uh, F1 series going at the same time as the uh, Pro Stock series, and those two series um, uh, they they would have 50 plus uh, uh, sleds uh, of each class. So uh, the USRF uh, had uh, really the, the, probably the largest uh, snowmobile organization uh, in in that era, and um, yeah, the. Uh, Really, the the, the yeah. West didn't really know about the OSRF, other than um, a couple of uh, journalists um, uh, that were that were basically Ontario Ontario based, uh, sending in reports to uh, Snow Week and uh, and those and those other uh, uh, magazines uh, back in the back in the West and Minnesota kind of thing. So, yeah, we had a, we had a good little uh, a good good little organization going out here. Uh, in the east for uh, for quite a while, so um, where the uh, when did the uh, when did the relationship with uh, Bruce uh, from PSI come in to, to effect? Well, okay, so um, we're moving along quickly now. Um, uh, so. Well, no, that's fine. So what happened is, uh, so I've got, I've got to kind of, I've got to kind of key that up for you guys. Okay. Um, so we're out at uh, now. We're out. Uh, CJ Rams says Snow Week's following me, and now all of a sudden, um, other other magazines are following me, and now I'm I'm becoming this hot ticket out there on the race circuit, and also now OSRF is getting coverage too, so OSRF is gaining from it too. So it it, it was it was it was quite a quite a bit of an ordeal there. Um, what happened is in '86 um, um, we took uh, hell we took that same stock sledding we we were so fast in the classes that we were jumping it up uh and so we were running that in c and b and um we went to eagle river and with a c stocker nobody nobody uh to my knowledge had done that um had uh, we dominated c and we won b um and uh ray munster uh, you know couldn't have been prouder i'm sorry what was that sorry Jim, just to let people, just just sorry to interrupt, just to let people uh, know that that didn't know what C and B was. What were the what were the uh, what were the motor sizes of uh, C and B stocks? Yeah, um, it was a little convoluted back then, Hill. Um, so it was a performance-rated thing. Uh, the 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 C stocker that I was on was a fan cooled 48. What was really controlling it was the fact that the C stockers had they couldn't be more than 56 horsepower. Okay, then B stockers, um, I think they were somewhere in the 70 horsepower, 75 horsepower range there. Um, so uh, uh, it wasn't like the uh, it wasn't like there was a 440 class, a 500 class, a 650 class. Um, the ABC there was other criteria in there on their performance ratings. Part of it, was, you know, was you know was it a real performance machine? Was it you know was it a stock race machine? Was it heavy? Was it light? You know that that type of stuff. Um, so yes, it was. Um, uh, and uh, I guess the big thing was uh, Gordy. Remember, uh, Gordy? You remember Jerry Carpick? Oh yeah, of course. 
Yeah, Gerard. And um, so uh, he took a liking to me uh, when I was just coming up on the scene. And uh, one of the things that stuck with me like uh, like glue, Gordy, is Jerry uh, said to me very early on in my career, because I could have gotten a ride with Skidoo, but here's, here's, Jerry's, here's Jerry's look at that. He says, Jimmy, you're going to win on whatever you're on. <laughs> he says, but nobody's winning on Polaris. Everybody's winning on Skidoo. Uh-huh. He said, so if it were me, I would strongly consider the fact that is, you know, there's there's going to be less clawing around up there at the top for what the manufacturers are going to be distributing out, um, you know. So I guess there was a there there was a, a certainly certain amount of mentoring and coaching that I took uh, to, to high regard from Jerry um, that he was basically suggesting that I you know kind of pursue the players line up there. When I started getting hot, I could I could have pretty much jumped to any of the manufacturers, but he, that's where where he stuck in there and he said, you know maybe it's good to you know stick with players. Um, so that's so that particular year, Hal, we won the. Um, the B and the C, and uh, Polaris, uh, Polaris took the team out uh, to dinner after the race, and and uh, Ray Munster was sitting there. Uh, we all had a beer in our hands, and we're you know uh, cheering to our victory, um, and uh, just just as just as steady as could be, which was if you guys ever met Ray Munster, that's who he was, Mr. Steady. He's sitting across the table from me, looked right at me, and he said. If we if we got you support, do you think you could uh, do you think you could build a Formula Three set and be competitive with it? And I said, I looked at him and I, I thought about it for like less than two minutes, and I said, I'm pretty sure I could. Yeah. And uh, that was that conversation ended uh, a month later or two months later. There, my new contract was in that included a uh, uh, any support I needed from um, from Polaris. Uh, they were going to build the engine. They were going to produce the horsepower and whatever other support I needed. Uh, so uh, that started the Formula Three. So then, uh, to your question, Gordy, where Bruce came into the picture, um, that's right. If you remember in '87, that's when all the attention was starting to shift. When we won, basically, from Presque Isle, Maine. You know, all the way out to uh, uh, South Dakota, um, we won basically every event we went in with this new triple uh, 600 uh, Polaris Indy. We were the first ones on the race circuit in Formula 3 with a triple because everybody said they're too heavy, you you can't compete with them. And... um, we basically went undefeated until the World Series in uh, no two races that year. Uh, one was Eagle River, and um, I think we broke or something happened. And the other was the uh, up in Presque Isle, Maine, for the World Series up there that year. Uh, and uh, of course, Bender and I were battling it out again. And last turn, um, we were side by side in the turn, and he gave my gave me a little bit of nudge from the from the back end. Track derailed, and uh, the rest was history um, left there and that. But that um, turned everybody's heads because now everybody, including um, Skidoo, uh, was looking at making horsepower with triples because there was no real magic. We were, we were out there beating the, 
uh, twins at, um, well, I can tell you what horsepower we had that year. We had 129, 28 horsepower, and the twins had like 110. So it was it was really kind of like easy pickings. Yeah. Um, you know, set... You know, so all you have to do is have a, a good handling chassis, and then we had the power advantage. So that kind of got everything, the, the Formula 3 wars and going there. Um, and uh, and uh, the next year, um, there was then three of us on Polaris's, and then, of course, there was, uh, there was uh, the Ski-Doo's came on the scene, Antarctica. What, uh, what chassis did you have? So that led us to Gordy. Uh, well, that... As the way the rules were working, Gordy, um, you had to start off with, um, so I was on an Indy 600 chassis that year, and then the next year we went to a Indy 650. Um, so you, you could do whatever modifications you wanted, so we were building the suds, you know, from every rivet, bulkheads, you know, uh, bulkheads up, and um, we were building the race suds in our shop. Uh, with the with the help of Polaris, and then what where I'm going with this, Gordy, is then what happened is as the manufacturer started upping the ante, you could no longer. I mean, you went from dominating at 128 horsepower to not even being competitive with 140 horsepower. For sure. So then that meant you needed a specialist, an engine specialist. So the first engine specialist uh, that was knocking on my door that wanted me to race for him was Decker. If you remember, Decker was a a big name back in engines back then. Yep. Decker pipes and Decker engines. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, what happened there is it just there was a bit of a personality clash, and it, uh, there was two of us running out of the under the Decker name in Formula Three. One was Guy Useldinger, and the other was myself. Um, and and uh, a guy by the name of an engineer out of out of a young buck back then, um, Darren Hedlund. Uh, was was uh, was our chassis was was working with us both on our chassis, um, yeah. And uh, so then the the after that uh, after that after that we I went locally here with a guy in the east, um, a no name guy, but he he's he's local and he he really tries hard. But the problem was is that he. He wasn't an oval racing guy. He was a drag racer. He made horsepower to go straight down the line. Uh, his name was Rob Shooping from Hot to Go Racing. Oh yeah. Um, so went with him for a year. We were working with a guy by the name of Jim Siscala out of CNH Dino. Um, Jim was helping us out as much as he could, you know, with uh, his Dino time. Um, and uh, Jim, just a you know, just a, a supporter of of the the young racers, trying to you know, so he would do whatever he could do, and uh, uh, ran into a few problems that year. And so to get to your, uh, I'm sorry it took me so long, Gordy, to get to the uh, your question. What happened is um, Bruce Kalhammer and his crew were at uh, Eagle River that year that I had a, a hot to go motor in my sled. And he was, I never met him before, and he was just in the background watching our team. Um, and he was looking at it from and the weak link on our team. You know, why isn't, why isn't Jim winning? And, and uh, he, he looked at it as, you know, you, you, need, you need a good, strong engine guy. And uh, so he came into the trailer after Eagle River, and uh, we had a conversation for an hour, hour and a half. 
and uh, he expressed his interest in uh, in sponsoring and building uh, building our motors, and that's where that's how the relationship started off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Bruce was a, was a big supporter of you. Not, not too many uh, um, uh, after or, uh, speed shops would, would actually come and uh, and work on guys uh, guys sleds and engines, and but uh, Bruce would come to your races quite a bit, and uh, and work on your stuff. Uh, so to keep uh, keep you uh, going fast all year round, um, Jim. I got a question here off off of uh, Facebook. Uh, a guy named Jim Shevelock. You remember him? Uh, yeah. Shevelock. Shevelock. Um, boy, that sounds familiar. What do I got going on there? Okay, he's he's, he's got a question here for you. He Ask Jim if he remembers racing under the lights at Welland County Motorcycle Track in the mid seventies. You weren't on a Polaris yet, but uh, uh, where was where? Where was that track at? Welland County Motorcycle Track. I sure do. That was that was. Uh, I was just. I was just starting out. Yeah, that's right across the uh, right across the border. Yeah. Uh, Saturday nights over at Welland. Uh, yeah, I was over there with a uh, snowjet thunderjet. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, apparently Jim was one of your competitors there, and he uh, fired off a question there to see if uh, you still remembered back uh, those those races back then. But uh, okay, getting oh, back. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Gordy. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll 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 get back on uh, our, our time frame here. So uh, yeah, so you raced with Bruce uh, a, a few years uh, back in back in the heydays uh, when uh, the speed shops were uh, were all involved, uh, and it was it was real bragging rights, I guess, for uh, all the uh, the engines and pipes and clutch kits and just about everybody. Everybody wanted to be on, uh, on in, in the winner's circle for sure. Uh, um, so um, I guess we're, we're, that would be into the 92, 90s, wouldn't it not? Yeah, that was uh, that took us right into ninety, and then ninety one is uh, is when I, I started the relationship with uh, uh, PSI. Yep. So um, uh, Hal, go ahead. Uh, you must have uh, some questions for uh, for Jim. Yeah. So. Uh... Jim, when you got into the, uh, as Formula 3 uh, evolved, it was like, it, it, I don't know if it was, it was, depending on what type of sledge, if you're a traditionalist, the single trackers, the, the Formula 3 was, uh, was the big show, and, uh, and, and then the, uh, the F1, the twin trackers. Um, I got a real nice picture that I took of you up at Owen Sound, uh, which isn't far from where I live. Um, and you had a real nice sled. I, I, I took a shot of it, and you probably remember it was a nice uh, kind of a hot pink with uh, with blue. You had a, like a, a purple or a pinkish helmet with your blue and white leathers. Um, I always remember that yep. sled up at uh, up at Sound. Uh, you racing, battling out with uh, I'm pretty sure with Tim Bender, and I think at that time it was with his V Max uh, Four. It could have been the could have been his his Exciters, but. Uh, Tell us a little about that sled. Was was that a Pro Five chassis, or or did you have any relationship with Pro Five, or was that strictly uh, your own chassis? I mean, it has PSI Performance as a sponsor and uh, commercial sewing on it. Right. Um, so yes. Uh, so to answer your question directly, Hal, um, no, I had uh, really no relationship with Pro Five whatsoever. Um, the only relationship there was there all these. Uh, there wasn't uh, a single Formula Three chassis uh, of mine that uh, that we didn't design every single piece on stress test. Uh, 
uh, with the help of of, uh, of of other folks like players, engineers, and um, but uh, that right from the ground up, from the drawings to every uh, final product, those were our chassis. The only Pro Five um, association that we had was back in. Um, 87, where players uh, really wanted us to represent another hot class that was up and coming. It was called Pro Sprint. And um, so we were just actually getting into and figuring out Formula 3, so I couldn't build, uh, we were uh, a little bit stressed out to build and design two chassis for two classes. So what I did was um, contracted Larry Rugland at that time from Pro 5 and um, asked him, uh, you know, to uh, put me a, a sprint chassis together. Um, and that that was, uh, so what happened is they put a sprint chassis together. Um, and it was it was somewhat competitive, but the following year we brought it into our shop and we stripped it down, uh, changed out everything on it, uh, went to, um, uh, a different track went to a, a little a bit of a different suspension the, the whole front end different sway bar system just different everything on it um and that's when that sled became really really hot on the circuit also um uh, across the country so and, and that was in the heydays of of the uh the sprint class uh which was another factory class like in other words the um, your factory riders your your uh your uh, uh pools and um uh well bender before he got out but uh you know any anybody the who's who they were in this class because it was a, a mod class with restrictions on the horsepower yeah it was a 56 horsepower uh, uh class with uh, basically basically uh modified chassis uh and a lot a lot of them were uh x x single track uh, formula one chassis uh, uh most people had so uh, yeah they, they certainly were Yep. They, yeah, so, yep, uh, they were, but uh, so to answer your question, Hal, that was the my only association with Pro 5 in my whole career was right there with that, okay. with that one chassis for the one year. So, so uh, okay. Jim, you had uh, you, you had a pretty good uh, uh, battle uh, battles uh, throughout the years with uh, with uh, Tim Bender. Uh, he, 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 I guess uh, you, you two are just about inseparable. Um, uh, any particular race stand out um, that uh, you had a you had a, just a knockout battle with uh, with Tim? Oh my God, there were so many with him. Uh, yeah. To be honest with you, Gord, um, the. Uh, um, uh, the uh, Formula 3 battles with Tim, like you said, um, and Owen Sound always sticks out because I loved that track. I loved the speed. I loved the uh, the courage it took to race that track because um, it, 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 was, it was a fast track. You were always making great horsepower, and it was big, And uh, but the turns were a little bit flat, and, uh, it, you know, it was somewhat... It was somewhat of a, a driver's, uh, it really put a, a driver in his element there because um, it was a driver's uh, track. Um, and that was from early on on, uh, Gord. Um, yeah. The one, uh, uh, the Formula 3 battles up there were phenomenal with Tim. Um, but the, um, also the pro stock battles up there with Tim, the one year, if you remember, they put um, when Snowcross was really coming into play, and they had like an intermission, and they put piles of snow on the track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and 
Yeah, and uh, and it turned out to be uh, Tim Bender and once again and myself. It's, it's funny how it, it was, oh, the finals came down that way, but um, and. Uh, uh, coming across for the finish line, it was uh, both of us hitting the last jump at the same time, and we weren't we weren't a foot apart when we crossed the finish line there. That was that was quite a uh, a memorable feat there. Um, but um, you know, there there's there's just lots of them. One of the ones that uh, uh, when we uh, won in um, uh, up in uh, Quebec, battling uh, both Bender and. Uh, um, Sackett, you remember him? Yep. Uh, he was Timmy's yep. teammate. Uh, so when Yamaha got him the semi and the, and the big budget, um, and he chose uh, Mike Sackett as his teammate. And so whenever, whenever I would at any race, it was like um, it was the the Yamahas, the two big Yamahas that were making crazy horsepower, and uh, and myself. And so up in uh, up in uh, Belcourt, uh, if you remember that track, uh, Gord, you're coming down a hill off Camber and going into an egg-shaped turn, and everybody, if, if you shot that too hard, uh, you would shoot right through the hay bales and a lot of accidents in that turn one and two. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. So what happened there is... Uh, uh, it was uh, Tim, Mike, and myself battling first, second, and third, back and forth. Um, Tim always seemed to have more engine problems than uh, Sackett. He went down halfway through the race, so then it was Mike and I battling and, um, you know, just chasing each other. So if you, if you guys can envision this, um, big, big horsepower not handling quite as well as our sled, so come out of the turn, you know, they, they'd have, you know, three, four, five miles an hour on me but go into the turn a little bit hot so that's the type of race this was and um mike got down into one and two a little bit too hot and there there spilled his sled hay bales flying and there he went into the wall and uh went on to win that um but that's that's how the that's how the battles went um you know how if you want to look something up there's a great race um espn did a great race at eagle river that same year um, and uh, uh, that that is an unbelievably memorable race, um, uh, Mike. Uh, it was it, it, the odds on. If you look back at the odds, there was Tim Bender, Jim Appleson, Mike Sackett. Uh, uh, Guy Useldinger was the dark horse because he had a difficult time uh, qualifying. He was in the back row. Um, and uh, what happened is that race, the same way it started off at Belcourt. It was the two Yamahas and myself in between them were dicing back and forth for second and third place. Um, and then Tim dropped out on, a, on about lap seven or eight. And then it was Mike Sackett and myself. And then my, my carbs, um, in turn one and two, Eagle River was known for uh, really, really getting roughed up. Um, getting rough. And uh, uh, so what would happen is... Uh, my carbs started, my needles and seats started uh, dropping off, so coming out of the turns, I was getting this big, huge bog. So I'd roll off the throttle and then roll back on the throttle, you know, set the chassis and roll back on the throttle, and it just wouldn't be there, so it really screwed up the timing, the handling, uh, everything. And lo and behold, at about lap 10, I hear this sled coming right on me on turn, uh, turn one and two, and who do you think it is but Guy Useldinger? 
who uh, is just coming through like a freight train. As and so there he goes. And so I'm I'm and in one and two, my my uh, my carbs are shutting down. My needles and seats aren't hitting. So this was now becoming every one and two. I was losing, you know, like you know four or five sled lengths every one and two every time I come into that. So he chased Mike Sackett down. He he ends up taking first. I uh, caught back up to Mike Sackett, but uh, Mike was second and I was third on that. That was that was an extremely memorable race. Yeah, I remember that one uh, big time, uh, Jim. Uh, I was I was actually there to, uh, doing photographs uh, for that race for. Uh, uh, and uh, Motorsport Magazine here, and actually, you were on the front page uh, of that magazine. That a photo that I took of uh, Guy Olsendinger and uh, you in the background, and you're just like bonsai, one ski in the air, just trying to hang on to Guy Guy Olsendinger coming out of uh, corner four, <laughs> and uh, just an epic photo. Uh, and uh, I think Guy Olsendinger used that photo for just about everything, uh, including the the local paper and. Uh, in Idaho there, but uh, that was an epic. That was an epic race. Really? Yeah. So. Um, oh yeah. It. But the, you know what, Gordy? That's how. That's how back then Formula Three was so important. Uh, you know, Formula One was really kind of like um, it was turning into the sideshow. Everything was about Formula Three. Everybody wanted to win that Formula. The bragging rights. And everybody wanted to win that Formula Three race. So there was so much hype going into it, and every race, Gordy, turned into that. Just like that, every weekend was like that. That excitement, that 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 thrill, um, was like that. It was just the most important race of the weekend. Yeah, you had uh, you had the OEMs all there. You would have the speed shops. Uh, it, it was tense. Uh, I mean, because everybody wanted to win. You know, if if you uh, were racing with uh, the the uh, the Bender Racing or the PSIs or the Deckers or uh, uh, what else was there? The um, um, Oh, the the the, uh, the Hool brothers—they had their their sleds, the Pro Five sleds. Every, I mean, it was it was competitive uh, for the OEMs and the speed shops uh, back in those days. So, uh, um, Hal, you got any more questions? Yeah, just uh, just I, you know, we uh, Jim, we uh, about a couple months ago, Gordon, we interviewed uh, Guy Uselinger, and uh, we were asking him about. Of course, he had done all kinds of racing and had been successful and pretty well any any racing he had he had done but just just a credit to all you guys on the on the formula three circuit back then he said you know you, you could trust everybody on the on the track you knew that there was nobody out there that was you know running machines that were over their head and and uh and when you went into a, into the corners you know with yourself and and the hools and and uh gary nickerson like whoever it was you uh, you had this kind of mutual respect for each other's abilities and knew that you know somebody wasn't gonna you know do something crazy and take somebody out because like you said i mean these these machines you know when they got near the the end of their run the the the, the motors were were probably overpowering the the chassis of the day you know when you look at today's champ 440 sleds how sophisticated they are compared to your your formula three sleds of the day um but he just said that you know you could always trust everybody around you, and uh, and it was great racing. Um, my next question for you is, you know, as Formula Three kind of breached, I you know you, you look at the different stages of it. Uh, you were probably right at the grassroots with it, and then as the you know Tim Bender, and then from there you started seeing the Hula brothers come in on the F3, Uselzinger. And then when Arctic started to make some news with uh, Brian Sturgeon, I seen Brian run against you at Eagle River, um, and those machines were just 
you know, they were just amazing, the power and the, and the work of art. But, but what, what ended up killing Formula 3? Was it, the, was it the move of the twin tracks going to Champ 440 back to single track uh, sleds and then the Formula 3 series died out? Or was it the move from uh, the triples back to now the big bore uh, twins, the 700s, 800s, Polaris and 97, 98 started making their own motors and was there just not the support anymore for the, uh, for the Fuji triples? Well, you know, uh, that, that's a great question, Hal. So f first off, let me respond uh, to Guy Useldinger. Um, so Guy Useldinger, from the purest uh, point, um, and he's absolutely right, if you were in the feature of a Formula 3 race, this is the cream of the crop in all snowmobile racing. I mean, um, uh, you, you were, it was a very, um, to be involved in that and you, and you to really understand Formula 3, you have to talk to the, 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 the speed shops and the guys that were really involved in it. Um, there was only what the things that killed it were there weren't enough, uh, there wasn't enough support and it was getting crazy expensive and the interest in oval racing was really dying off. Um, when I sat down and renewed my contract uh, with Ed Scummerall, the vice president at that time of Players Industries, um, in, uh, in uh, 1994, uh, uh, they, were, uh, well, they were talking like, um, we just need you to represent us out there, you know, uh, just do your best. We know you're going to do your best, um, you know, because we understand that we're not giving you enough uh, technical support. We're not giving you enough horsepower. We're not giving you enough chassis technology. And, of course, you don't, you don't want to hear that. We never believed that. Just, you know, you know just show us the money. Give us the, give us the hope. Give us the opportunity. We'll go out and do the rest. That's our job, to go out and win. But the reason I'm telling you that, Hal, is because that's... That's when the manufacturers started looking at terrain racing, and it, it wasn't within oval racing because the writing was on the wall. If Formula 3 had been managed properly, okay, what would have happened is that this would have been the factory wars. But what happened is they shifted their re limited resources over to factory support in terrain racing, and that's that is what killed oval racing, and that's what killed Formula 3 racing. But everybody knew from, uh, to be honest with you, from 92, 93 on, that Formula 3 was the show, and this is where the money was being spent. Well, uh, if you were, if it, other than the Boswell series, um, there was no money for, for, Formula 3 would have dried up back in 95. Um, so uh, Boswell, the Boswell series was supporting Formula One and Formula Three for that matter, uh, but on a two or three to one ratio that he was dumping that much more into Formula One because he didn't want to. See, he, he, he thought um, he, Boswell thought that the two of them complemented one another tremendously. But the one thing, if you guys do a little bit of homework, what you'll find out is that. The Formula One guys had the utmost respect for the Formula Three riders, um, and they would not get on a Formula Three sled. I used to test with Dave Wall, uh, Dermont Wall, and, and that whole crew, and uh, 
Uh, I'd say, yeah, well, Dave, let's let's swap sleds here for a couple hours. You tell me what you think. He said, I'm not getting on. You're crazy. I'm not getting on that sled. Yeah, and vice versa too. A lot of the uh, the uh, Formula Three uh, guys didn't really care to get on the uh, Formula One sleds either. <laughs> well, to be perfect with you, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Gordy, it was because there was a there was a uh, a badge that the Formula Three riders were wearing as being. Uh, as as being uh, you know the the world of outlaws out there being the you know being the uh, the guys that the sleds didn't drive themselves you you had to drive these sleds so you you had to be the complete package on a Formula Three sled I mean you couldn't just have a fast sled you couldn't just have a sled that was handling well you had to have the complete package and you had to have the fittest guys out there on the race circuit yep yep for sure for sure okay. Um... Yeah, Hal, you want to wrap this up? And um, any more questions? Yeah, we'll wrap it up. So, um, looks like the 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 last year of uh, when when Formula Three ended. What did you do with your career? I, did you did you make the transition to Champ Four Forty, or did you just hang it up at that point? No, uh, Hal. Uh, you know, um, I'd been to the top of the mountain. Uh, I had been to the top. I, there was only very few little things that I didn't accomplish. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, as, as far as uh, I, I, I think the record stands out there is running for one manufacturer as a factory rider, the longest. Uh, I believe that that's out there with the, maybe the question of Jacques uh, Villeneuve might have been. I'm not sure if he was getting factory support or not. But in any event, um, but, uh, you know, I got to the top of the climb, got to the top of the mountain, um, and it was a tough decision, Hal. But uh, when, when it was done, uh, I signed up till 97, and I had uh, opportunities, uh, and of course, you know, the, the love for the sport and the glory uh, were there, but um, it just, it, it, it was very tough to do, but it was, it was time to say, you know what, I've written that book, close it, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Jim, you, do, you, uh, do you follow any other uh, racing now? Uh, not, uh, not really, uh, uh, Gord. Um, uh, what happened is, um, <laughs> uh, share a little funny story with you guys. So that 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 year, as uh, as was my last year of racing, we have a, a camp down the Allegheny Mountains on a, on a Kinzua Reservoir, and um, we're sitting around the bonfire, having some beers, listening to some music, and uh, a good friend of mine. He he looks right at me after a couple of. Uh, couple of beers and he looks right at me and he says so what are you gonna do now <laughs> and i said uh, i looked i looked right at him and i said now oh, maybe it's, you know this guy's a, a fantastic skier he's a ski instructor so i said now oh, maybe it's time we maybe it's time i got serious because i've skied my whole life maybe it's time i get serious about skiing now i had no intentions with this guys but um he shows up in my office the following week with an application to go ski racing I'm really? like, I, are you crazy? I said, I've never even, I've never raced on skis in my life. Uh, you're a perfect candidate. Follow my lead. We're going to do some, we're going to do a lot of training. And so I followed that for over 10 years, hell, uh, on a very amateurish level, but across Western New York. 
and um, it kept the competitive juices going, uh, kept me training and kept the competitive juices going. But, um, uh, no, I looked at a lot of things. I had a lot of guys come that wanted me to sponsor them uh, and a lot of different things. Uh, I, I dabbled with a couple of guys and some uh, – uh, Gord, you might, you might know this, you might not, but uh, uh, Timmy, when he left snowmobile racing and he tried auto racing and he had a couple bad wrecks, um, he yep. designed a series that ran in western New York. It was called Cup Lights. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And, uh, yeah, well, what it was, Gord, was it was basically, uh, uh, it, it was race cars with chassis and suspensions with snowmobile triple Yamaha motors and clutches on them. Yep. So, um, so the local guys here, uh, one guy basically, you know, came in and, uh, solicited that I, I he heard that uh, you know of my past and he said he thought that I could help him with this and so sure enough I helped him out for uh, a couple months and he shot to points champion and then I helped his brother the next year and then the next kid comes along and um, and and so these guys were just starving for two stroke and, and really clutching knowledge which they knew nothing about these things that made their their machines fast and um, that that kind of uh, that was the closest my hell. That was my closest involvement to any type of racing. Awesome. Okay. That's great. Well, you, uh, did you keep any of your bracelets uh, for display in your shop or anything? I got them all. Uh, there's only one that I don't have. Well, I don't have any of the stockers. Uh, I might, if I get a bug up my butt, I might uh, pull in a couple of them. But. Um, uh, there's only one I don't. That pro sprint sled ended up out there because I never was really in love with it. It was it, uh, uh, a guy ended up chasing that thing down. Um, if you remember a guy uh, way back uh, before our time, uh, Mike Trapp won at Eagle River. He was a world champion. Yep. Um, the Trapp brothers and just great people. Um, they ended up second or third handedly with that sprint chassis and a guy stumbled across it in their shop and he said is that Jim Appleson sled and so he ended up getting that got got it contacted me um uh, asked me for any type of uh any type of uh photos or anything I had on the sled he um put it back to the original the way it was raced on the last day it was on the track and he's campaigning to get that into the um the hall of fame that's led into the hall of fame other than that i've got all the rest of the sluts really good for you good for you hanging yeah, on to that stuff all together yeah that's great so uh, um yeah well the if you if you look at the last sled that I raced uh, at the uh, in '97 at the World Championship, that sled is identical to the way it came off the track. Uh, with a little bit of work, we could get it up and running and put it back on a racetrack. Um, the rest of the sleds, all the pieces are here, but um, uh, they're 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 not pulled together. They're they're okay. Well, oh, great, uh, Jim. It was uh, it was uh, it was great right. talk. Well, great, great talking to you again. Uh, it's been a it's been a long time. Uh, way o you're way overdue uh, chatting, and uh, we get, we need to get together again sometime and uh, and 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 talk in a bar or something and get some real good stories happening because uh, you left out a few. <laughs> but, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, love to get together with you guys. Make sure you say do a shout out there. Say hi to Kenny. Well, for um, sure. Your brother, I haven't talked to him. I haven't seen you guys uh, probably since you guys went, came up here and ran that snowcross race here in town. Yeah, yeah, right in Hamburg there. Yeah, for sure. I know Ken's always looking to uh, yeah, come, right. well, come back that way. 
So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. Uh, it was great to talking to you, uh, Jim, and uh, it was it was even great uh, racing with you back in the day, and uh, racing with you or against you, um, one of them. Uh, it's, but it was. Uh, it was great. It was uh, good times. And um, once again, uh, Jim, uh, where can people find you? Uh, dealer, uh, your contact information for your dealership and, uh, and uh, what you're doing. Well, we're on, uh, well, first off, you can go to appleson.com. That's spelled A-P-P-O-L-S-O-N. Um, that's our dealership. And also you can Facebook um, uh, our marketing uh, our marketing folks here uh, work stuff back and forth. And they get it. They get a little bit, uh, they get a little bit, uh, they get put smiles on their faces when people send questions in that say that they know Jim Appleson from the racetrack. So they, they do, they dig into that and they'll, they respond to that. Yeah, and uh, telephone number, uh, email address. Sure, sure. Uh, telephone number is seven one six six four nine one zero nine zero, and email address would be uh, jja at appleson dot com. Awesome. Well, Jim, it was great talking to you. Hal, you got any right. last words? Uh, no, just uh, just uh, nice talking to you, Jim. I, I, I watched you race uh, uh, quite a bit in the uh, late '80s and '90s, and uh, uh, love to do a story maybe on uh, on that Formula Three sled of yours for uh, for our uh, time machines uh, uh, feature that we do in Snowgoer Canada uh, magazine. If uh, if that might be of interest on you. Well, you know, you guys, uh, any any time, I just would need some lead time, that's all. But uh, uh, I, I, I want you guys to know that we really forged an awful lot of relationships up in, uh, up in Canada. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, I'll leave you with this parting thought, Gord. How about Wilderness Tours, our whitewater rafting experience? <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that was a, that, that was, was cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and the you and the you and the boys. Uh, we 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 all kind of let our hair down that uh, that weekend. Oh yeah, we came up with. <laughs> yeah, your busload of busload of folks that we went up. Uh, that was awesome. But a yeah. lot of fond memories, guys. Of. Uh, of the uh the the competition when we came up there into canada a lot of a lot of and we were treated very very well wherever we went and that it never went unnoticed i can tell you that yeah that was a good it was great uh, you guys were a lot of fun all right. so all right jim it was great talking to you and uh